My name is John Norris. I'm a pastoral resident here, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Let's pray. Father, we love your word. We want to tremble at your word. Thank you for Christmas. You sent your son, born of a woman, to redeem those born of women. Help us see, God. Give us eyes to see. And give us hearts that love what we see. We ask in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. There's an American horror movie called Rosemary's Baby. It was made in the 1960s. The premise of the movie is that Satan has a child with a woman named Rosemary. And at the end of the movie, by the way, don't see the movie. <laughs> at the end of the movie, someone's looking at this little monster of a child and says, he has his father's eyes. And of course, the little baby has snake eyes, which is crazy. And presumably, he'll grow up to be the Antichrist. And this is considered to be one of the scariest movies of all time by people who don't know their Bibles well enough to know what is really scary. Because fact is much more frightening than fiction. Satan has children. He has lots of children. Look at the curse from Genesis 3. If you have your Bible, turn there. Genesis 3. See what God says in verse 14. Satan has just deceived Adam and Eve. They've fallen, and God comes to the serpent, and he says this. Because you've done this, verse 14 of chapter 3, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, or conflict, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Did you see that? From the beginning, God says there's going to be war. There's going to be war between the offspring of the woman and between the offspring of Satan. Who are Satan's offspring? They're not demons. Listen to what Jesus says to the Jews in John chapter eight. Just listen, you don't have to turn there. John chapter eight, 38 through 44. Jesus says, I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if, Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. 
I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Jesus knew his Bible. He's not just being poetic here. Demons are not the offspring of Satan. People are. And they don't have snake eyes. They're people who desire what Satan desires. Did you hear that? Your will is to do your father's will. Some of Satan's children look like we might think they're abusive, hateful murderers, but some of them are friendly and have pretty respectable lives. Some of them are certainly in this room. Having eyes like a snake doesn't make you a child of the devil. Wanting anything more than God does. I don't want to give away too much for the next sermon in this series, which will be in a few weeks when we pick back up in 1 John. But if you've got your Bible, look at two verses from the end of ours. Chapter 3, verse 12. John is picking up on what Genesis 3 says. And look what he writes in verse 12 of chapter 3. We should not be like Cain. Cain is the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. He's the first child actually born on earth. We should not be like this one, Cain, who was of the evil one. The firstborn son ever on this earth was a child of the devil. John is saying that from the very beginning of the Bible, humanity is divided into two families. At the start of human history, God judges that the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent would be at war with each other. And you don't have to go 20 verses until Cain, the offspring of Satan, murders the only other offspring around, Abel. Cain never repents. He moves off to the east and starts a city, presumably in rebellion against God, away, far away from God. And then Eve has another son, Seth. And Genesis 4.26 says that in his days, Seth's people began to call on the name of the Lord. There's another family line. And from Seth come Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the people of God. So we've got the righteous family, Israel, and Cain, who leaves. So history is the story of these two families. But when Jesus shows up in John 8... He blows the minds of the people of God. 
because he tells the Jews, God's people, the family of Abraham, that their father is the devil. Having Abraham as their blood relative doesn't make them in the righteous family. So hear this, Redeemer. No matter who your parents are, no matter who they are, if you desire a life that's not submitted to Jesus Christ, your family tree is satanic. That isn't an overstatement. Our passage is affirming. Our passage, which is 1 John 2, 28 through chapter 3, verse 10, is affirming the history of the world from Genesis 3. There are only two families. There are so many families in this room, so many different nations, but there are only two families here. Would you like to know what family you're in? 1 John tells us. He tells us how we can know. Look at chapter three, verses seven through 10. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Do you look like your father? Last week, my dad was here in the service and Alvin Latanwa came up to me afterwards and he said, I knew it was your dad. I knew it was your dad when I saw him. And my first thought was, well, Alvin, you think all white people look the same. (laughs) And how many goofy white people with big noses are actually in this room? Of course he's my dad. I look like my dad. And John says, you do too. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Now when the ESV says practice of sinning, it's not talking about practice like you practice a sport or you'd practice an instrument so that you can get better. It's talking about the consistent way of life for you. Do you consistently practice sin? Is that the way your life is ordered? Is that the way your life is characterized? If so, you aren't a child of God. No matter who your parents are, no matter how many times you read the Bible, no matter how much you pray, no matter even if you said a prayer to receive Christ and had a religious, spiritual experience, if your life is characterized by sin, you are not a child of God. It's more than just a behavior problem. Verse 10 says the same thing. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. By this it's evident. So when court is called into session 
and the judge is determining who your father is. It's a paternity test. Who's your dad? The evidence that he's going to call for is not going to be what you said you believe. The evidence will be, did you practice righteousness? Did you live in a righteous way? The evidence won't be Jesus's righteous deeds. Jesus's righteous deeds are what put you in the family of God and keep you there. But the evidence that you're actually in God's family are your righteous deeds. Your righteous living will be evidence that you are a child of God. Your righteous living is necessary proof that God really brought you into his family. If your theology tells you something different, you need to change your theology. I think that's what John is doing here. Look at verse four. I think John's correcting bad theology in verse four. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? It's almost like he's saying, sin is sin. But he's doing something. He's trying to correct bad teaching. If you remember last week, the sermon Scott preached, false teachers had come into the church, antichrists. They were leading people away and they had left the church themselves. And so when John says sin is lawlessness, I think he's correcting bad theology that goes something like this. Here's what the false teaching may have sounded like. Jesus is the only one who could fulfill God's law. The law that God gave to Israel through Moses. Jesus is the only one who could fulfill it, and he did. And as Romans 10.4 says, Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. So far, so good, right? But if Christ fulfilled the law for us, it doesn't apply to us anymore. There are no laws to break. So sin all you want. Do whatever you want. You're not breaking any God's laws because Jesus has fulfilled them. So live any way you want to. And John says, sin is lawlessness. Change your theology. It doesn't matter how gospel-centered you say you are. You can affirm all the right things, but if your life does not reflect righteousness, you are not God's child. Don't be deceived, Redeemer. Do you see John writing that? Don't be deceived. Jesus didn't just come to forgive your sins. Verse five, he came to take them away. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Verse eight, do you see that? Now, just to clarify, how do you become a child of God? Is it by doing righteous things? No. Look at the order. Chapter two, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practiced righteousness has been born of him. Has been. You don't do righteousness in order to be born of God. You do righteousness because you've been born of God. See a few verses down. 
and 3.9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. That word seed there is the same word as offspring. In Greek and Hebrew, the word is translated as seed or offspring, depending on the context. Because we are God's offspring, his descendants, when his seed abides in us, when we have his DNA, his characteristics, his blood in our veins. Again, the logic here is that you cannot keep on sinning because God's seed is already in you. You have been born of God. You carried, all of us, once carried the characteristics of Satan. And then something changed. God changed you. Your thinking, your feeling, your behavior changed because you were God's children. Not in order to become God's children. Do you know the story of the ugly duckling? There's a swan egg, there's a little baby swan in the egg. By accident, it rolls down a hill and it lands in a duck nest with other duck eggs. The mama duck doesn't notice. She sits on the eggs for a while. And then when it comes time for them to hatch, one of them is different than the rest. He doesn't sound like a duck. He doesn't move like a duck. He doesn't look like a duck. And the other ducks make him suffer because of it. He moves like a baby swan. And he sounds like a baby swan. And he looks like a baby swan because he's a baby swan. He does what he is. And so do you. So Christian, let's talk about you. Look at verse one. See, this is a command, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are right now. Right now, if you're submitted to Christ, you are God's child. Right now. You're not an outsider. You're not on the outside looking in. You are an the ultimate insider. You're not a stranger. You're not an employee. You're not an orphan. You are God's son or daughter. That's the kind of love that he has for you. He's made you children. Your father is, not not just someday, your father is right now the almighty. Your father ordains the end from the beginning. Your father doesn't have one speck of evil inside his heart. He is overflowing with goodness, kindness, compassion, joy, mercy. He's your father now. He never lies. He's never unfaithful. He never fails. And he is your father. But that's not the best part. Someday, John says in verse two, we will see him as he is. As he is, 
I mean, haven't all Christians seen Christ in some way? Jesus says to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, says Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. Didn't the disciples see the risen Christ? Not in the way John's talking about. In Exodus 33, Moses makes the audacious request that he could see God's glory. And do you know what God says to him? No one sees my glory and lives. You won't survive, Moses. And even when, throughout the rest of the Bible, as people get glimpses of God's glory, they aren't seeing what John is talking about here because they don't die. And because John says that when you see God like this, as he really is, you become like him. And that hasn't happened to anyone yet. When you see him, when we will see him, and we will, we will be like him. And not only will we be like him when we see him as he is, we must be like him to see him as he is. No mortal can see the unbridled glory of God and live. But you won't be a mere mortal anymore. Jesus says that you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father. You will be invincible. You will be clothed with glory that puts angels to shame. Isaiah 6, the angels that are around the throne of God, they have a pair of wings that are devoted to one thing, covering their faces so that they don't see God as he is, but you will. Only immortals can see him as he is, and you will be. Paul says, what is perishable, your body now, will be sown in the ground like seed, but it will be raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, you, when you die, and we all will, will be sown into the ground in dishonor, and we will be raised in glory. What is sown in weakness will be raised in power. And the condition of your soul will match the condition, the glory of your body. You will never sin or want sin. You will never complain, never covet, never lust, never lie. Again, you will never be bitter again. You will never be impatient again. You will never be anxious ever again. You will fear no evil and you will want no evil. And all your strength and all your might and all your glory shining like the sun and all your purity will serve so that you can stand in the presence of God Almighty 
with immortal joy forever. God will make you so that you can see him as he is. John 17, Jesus says, he prays to the Father, Father, I want them to see, my disciples, to see the glory that I had with you before the world began. He is the radiance of God's glory, and we will. This is a certain future for all of us. We will see that glory. And when you look it in the face, you will be like him. You will never be God, but you will share in his glory with joy, unfading and immortal. See what kind of love the Father has for us. Therefore, purify yourself. Therefore, abide in him. That's the point of this passage. John is writing this so that we would remain in Christ. We wouldn't walk away. We wouldn't walk in unrighteousness, but we would purify ourselves. That's the point of this passage. Look at verse three. Everyone who thus hopes, if you hope like that, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If that hope is what you're looking forward to, Pursue it now. Some of you are getting married. It feels like most of you are getting married soon. There's so many weddings going on. And what you're excited, I don't know anyone who's getting married who's not excited. And when you're excited, you prepare. You prepare financially, you get excited, prepare for the dress, the tuxedo. Some of you work out not all of you, you're preparing. You're preparing for what excites you. What you look forward to changes you. That's the point of this section. Don't walk away from Christ. Abide in Christ and live in righteousness. Remain in him, purify yourself. If you hope for the glory of seeing God as he is, purify yourself as he is pure. Now, there are two reasons why we do this. If we hope like that, there are two reasons why we would purify ourselves like that. The first is in verse 28 and 29 of chapter two. He says, and now little children, abide, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. It's simply this. If you walk away from Jesus and live in an unrighteous way, you prove that you are not one of God's children. Now, the title of this sermon is like, can I love Jesus and fall away? No, <laughs> you can't. But you can prove that you are never his child if you walk away from him. And that's what John is doing. He's pleading, abide in Jesus so that when he comes, you have confidence you're a child. 
And the second reason we purify ourselves, verse three, is because God is pure. If you say you want God's purity someday, but you don't actually want it now, then I think that you're lying. I can't wait until someday I share in the purity of God, but I, I wanna wait. <laughs> Not today, God. If you want God's heart to be in yours someday, pursue it now. Even if it's only in small measure. We want to be now what we hope to be someday. So remain in him, Redeemer. Purify yourselves. If sin has the upper hand in your life, this text says that there are three possibilities for what you need. The first is you may need to be born again. Being here today doesn't make you a Christian. If you say you're a camel, but you don't have a hump, you're a horse. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you say. If you don't love God or love people, you need him to change you. If you don't desire spiritual things, you need new life. If you can't stop sinning, you need a new heart. If you do the right thing so that God will give you a good life, but you don't actually want to be intimate, have fellowship with him, you need to be born again. What you need to do today is repent and believe that Jesus Christ is your only righteousness before the Father. And when you do, you will receive the Holy Spirit, adoption into his family. That's John 1, 12. To as many as receive him, embrace him by faith, he gives the right to become children of God. There's a way to change your family line, and God loves to do it. Some of you are born again, but you need to heighten your hope. John says it's the ones who hope in being made like God who purify themselves. So if you find that you're not purifying yourself, it may be that you have a hope problem. Christians develop a habit of hoping. We all have habits but do you have a habit of hoping in this way? To set your mind on what's coming your way. That's fuel for your purity. So remind yourself of the hope that you're living for and pray, pray for faith to believe that what God says, what God's promised is, will come your way. Finally, some of you have been born again, but you need to see that the work of purifying yourself is necessary. Look at how active this language is in verse three. John could have said, all those who hope in this way will be purified, which is true, but that's not what he says. He says, 
All those who thus hope purify themselves. It's active. John's application for writing this passage to us is to take sin seriously. Stay close to Jesus. Abide in him. Remain in him. Purify yourself. Some of us treat sin like we treat traffic. It's inconvenient, right? I mean, I'd get around it if I could, but it's here. I live in Dubai. Rather than treating sin like a fire in our homes, God's people are radically intense about their purity because they want to be like God and they want to see him as he is someday. Pursuing your purity doesn't make you a child of God, but the children of God are the ones who understand that if they don't pursue their purity more and more, they won't be like Christ. So Redeemer, don't be deceived. Hope in God and pursue your purity. Remain, stay close to him. We began by looking at Genesis 3 where the offspring of the serpent, the offspring of the woman are at war with each other. But in verse 15, it says that the offspring of the woman bruises the head of Satan. So Jesus is the one who delivers that crucial blow, the decisive blow. When Satan struck Jesus' heel and he was crucified, that was the moment that Jesus crushed the serpent's head. And he unleashed the spirit of God to adopt those who were once Satan's children into his family. And if we're already God's children now, what will we be when he appears? That moment when Jesus died It looked like a victory for Satan. The serpent struck the heel of the woman's offspring. But that was the moment that Satan was crushed. And that was the moment that unleashed God's spirit to adopt you into the righteous family of God. Now hear what Paul does in Romans 16, 20. When he's looking back at Genesis 3, the history of the world, and what Jesus, the righteous offspring, has done for us, he says this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We will win because we are God's children. God's son came to destroy the works of the devil. So stay close to him, Redeemer, and join Jesus in crushing Satan under your feet as you purify yourself and find your life and joy and hope in him. And someday you will see him as he is. Let's pray. Father, that is our hope.
the mind-boggling prospect of seeing you as you are. What love you've shown to us, God. Would you help us to hope, to purify ourselves, and would you, Father, get the glory as the one who has done everything through your Son to bring us into your family? Oh, we ask this through the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.